The artist's brain is an independent variable. When brought into the everyday world, their senses find meaning in even the most mundane observations. The reaction must only be told by the artists themselves. I'm Loverboy, and this is an experiment. Today's guest is a multi-instrumentalist, producer, singer, and all-around funk guru. Beginning in New York and making his way to San Francisco, he has found himself creating music that is used by creators around the world. Finding his name through his inspirations, Shuggy Otis and Michael McDonald, he began his journey by releasing 30 free tracks and making a name for himself in the music community. Please welcome today's guest, Otis McDonald. Welcome. Woo woo. Hey, what's happening? How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing so good and I'm uh I'm really excited to have you on here and uh to hear a bit more about what your your musical experience has been like. Oh man. Well, shoot. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm, I'm honored to be on this podcast. I appreciate you. Well, <laughs> so you have been playing instruments for as long as I could find doing my research. It seems like in the past few years, you really found as as an artist and as a creator, your own sound and your own your own place in the industry. What did that journey look like? How did how did that start? You put out 30 free tracks that kind of changed everything for you. And now you're the the beat and funk guru on Instagram as well. And YouTube. <laughs> and YouTube. Yeah. Well, YouTube is that, you know, that that is where it all started for me. Um, well, actually, you know, if I back it up, I, I had been, I moved out to the Bay Area when I was 19, and that's 19 years ago, so half of my life ago. <laughs> How about that? Um, and I had uh, goals and aspirations of, you know, being a, uh, a quote-unquote rock star or whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, which was, it had been my dream since I was a, a little kid um, from the first times I saw the Beatles play Shea Stadium, you know, saw that footage when I was like 10 or 11. And I was like, that's what I want to do, you know, and I want to be in the studio. And then I started messing around with the studio stuff um, when I was around 11 years old. And um, and fast forward to, you know, uh, going to college and studying um, jazz music as a drummer, um, I realized very quickly that that's not the only thing I wanted to do. Um, and so I came out here where a lot of my favorite funk records were made and I wanted to pursue a career in writing and recording my own music in the, in the more funk and soul. I hate to use the term neo soul, but that was a thing that really inspired me at the time. Acts like Erica Badu and D'Angelo, the roots. And I wanted to figure out a way to kind of tap into that. Um, and so I started putting out my own recordings under, under my real name, Joe Begale. And, uh, you know, and that's difficult, you know, it's just trying to get people to be aware of what it is that I'm doing. And, um, and so I was a, just a working class musician here in the Bay area, you know, just gigging, uh, doing as many gigs as I can just to keep me from having to do a job like waiting on tables, which is something I had done for, uh, you know, four years when I first moved out here. Um, so I was playing gigs as a drummer, playing gigs as a bass player, uh, playing gigs as a singer, and then putting out my own records and quietly working on my own production chops at home. And, um, you know, at one point I was out on the road, uh, I, I had scored the biggest gig of my life at the time, which was being the lead singer and keyboard player for the Mickey Hart band, uh, Mickey Hart being one of the drummers from the Grateful Dead. 
Uh, and that, you know, wasn't my my favorite style of music, but I was a fan of the Grateful Dead from when I was a kid. And so and, and it was a great opportunity to get paid, um, get fed and, you know, live the life on a tour bus, which was something I had never done before. And uh, and when that finished, I was back to reality, like, OK, now I got to get gigs. The only difference is, is, you know, when you are in a town that you live in and you go out on a major tour, people just kind of think you're gone. And so I couldn't really get gigs. But then this opportunity came up where uh, a friend of mine from uh, music school from college, he uh, he had started working at YouTube and he was a part of the team that was putting together the first YouTube uh, audio library, which was royalty free music. And uh, he and the rest of the team, you know, basically they were just starting by contacting people that they knew who might be interested in the opportunity. And we all had to kind of audition basically to get the gig. Um, And that audition consisted of me sending a reel of, you know, music that I had written and recorded on my own uh, and I tried to make it as diverse as possible and then hoped that I would get a contract. And then I was able to get one for 10 songs. And uh, and then those original 10 songs were just instrumentals that I, I released under my name, Joe Bigale, through YouTube's audio library. And then they came back and asked if I wanted to do more. And then they asked if I could make music that fit in like the hip hop category because they were kind of lacking in that department and hip hop being the most popular music in the world. <laughs> you know? uh, I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I needed I needed the work and and I love hip hop music and I had always wanted to experiment with making beats, but I never really did. Uh, and my favorite artists were cats like, um, you know, Jay Dilla being the the number one for me, uh, but then like Mad Lib, Q-Tip, Dr. Dre, basically all these cats that sampled soul funk music and jazz music, and which was the music I was making on my own. And, uh, and this was a royalty-free library, and I couldn't give them music. I couldn't give them beats where I was sampling classic soul, so I started experimenting with taking these little fragments of ideas that I would always have and just try to record them really quick and not worry about them being perfect and then sampling them and making beats out of them. And, uh, and then that became really, really inspiring to me. I had never messed around with sampling and, and I know a lot of these producers I mentioned before, I mean, they, the reason they get into sampling is because that, I mean, the only instruments they could really afford were like a sampler. And so they wanted to make music out of music that was already made before. And like, you know, guys like Dilla were just like masters at chopping up these things and making it completely his own thing. And, but for me, my, I was coming from this different place of being like a writer, you know, and, and that having to face that daunting task of writing a song from beginning to end. And then all of a sudden that just kind of, went away because I was like, wait a minute, I could just come up with a little idea and then I can sample it and then react to it. Like I would, if I was playing on drums in a band and improvising. And so it became a composition tool for me. And, uh, and now I just do it all the time. It's like, I just, I just love the idea of just throwing any sound into a sampler and just pitching it up or slowing it down and, and finding a new sequence that just kind of acts as like a conductor for me that I can then 
learn what the song is, even though I'm creating it. You know what I'm saying? You Absolutely. Know? <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, and that, and that music was very different than what I was releasing under my name, my real name. And I didn't want to confuse the fans. <laughs> and I say that with quotations because I didn't have any fans under <laughs> other than, you know, maybe a few people in the Bay area. Um, but I, you know, I just felt strongly enough that I should put it under a different name. Um, and then I kind of came up with this idea of like, why don't I put it under this name, Otis McDonald, which was based on a song I had submitted to YouTube under my real name, which was inspired by Shuggy Otis and Michael McDonald. Um, Dude, and great. I would use that cause it was kind of a catchy name. And, uh, yeah, I would just put it under this name and then I would make a YouTube channel that people could come back to if they heard my songs in these videos that were being used, uh, where my songs were being used. And then that would kind of almost function as my website, you know, as a, as a YouTube channel. And, and it would just be a complete experiment. Like can an artist that has never existed before start to gain an audience exclusively through this type of distribution? I'm sorry. That was a pretty long answer there, but I hope that. No, that was, that was that was exactly what I think people need to hear is that sometimes to get to the dream, you have to find as many paths that get to that place as possible and take them all. And, and you know, you, you don't always have to spread yourself too thin, but find a way to handle a little bit more than everybody else. And eventually you'll get to the destination. And, you know, the, the question for this season is at what point did you know that it was worth betting it all on yourself? And it sounds like that's, that was your time. I mean, you, you, you really changed the whole trajectory of your career. Totally. Yeah. It's uh, well, it was a year after that music was uh, placed in the YouTube audio library and available to the public. There were three and a half million different videos on youtube alone that had my music in it what with a, a total of something like 7.6 billion views is what i was told and i was just like holy shit okay well nobody had ever heard of joe Bagale, but there's a lot of people that have heard of otis mcdonald at this point so i need to just forget about this this idea of it being under my real name because like whatever you know it's like the the otis mcdonald thing i think allowed me to not Th not overthink my music and really just experiment freely with sound and kind of find something that was uniquely my own music. Absolutely. Um, because I mean, these are just tools, right? And, and, uh, and anybody can utilize these tools. Anybody can do the same thing that I did to make music, but it will sound like them, you know, and this sounds like me. And, um, yeah, I don't know why it's why artists um, face that that problem. You know, I, I always say like an artist is the biggest wall in front of getting from point A mm. to point B, you know, because we we tend to overthink and be perfectionists. And, and I admittedly was always that way with my my music, with my first two records that I made. And, and it's something like, you know, having having a deadline because I signed a, a contract with a, a company and they were like, you need to submit 30 songs in three months, 10 songs a month. And I was, I had never written and recorded that much music in my life, let alone mixed and mastered it, you know, and everything. But I, of course I said yes, cause I wanted the opportunity to do it. So it was like getting commissioned to work on my chops, 
uh, on all of them, you know, playing the drums, the bass, the guitar, the keyboards, mixing it, mastering it, editing it. And, and, and then three months later, you look at this body of work you've created and you're like, holy shit, like I'm so much faster at doing this. I'm so much closer to, to my heart, you know, in regards mm. to like what I've always wanted to do. But before all of that, when I was just gigging and, 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 and doing everything I could, I, I was still doing everything I wanted to do. I knew from an early age that I just, I wanted to be a musician uh, for a living. I wanted to do the thing that I love, which was make music. And so I would do anything I could that was music related in order to survive. So that was playing gigs. It was also teaching. I was a teacher for 15 years at the California Jazz Conservatory teaching um, teaching drums, uh, you know, beginner drum set. I was teaching funk ensemble for middle school and high school kids. I was teaching recording and editing for uh, the college kids. And, um, and then I had private lessons as well. And uh, yeah, man, I was just, that, I mean, that's what a working musician does. That's what still all of my peers are still doing here in the Bay. You know, anything you can do to survive in this astronomically expensive place that we live in out here. <laughs> And for art in general, not only is it expensive, but we're put into we're we're putting ourselves into a position to make life way harder to make money. But yeah. it's 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 an addiction. I don't I don't think there's many people who sit in a place like you do or I do or a bunch of our peers that are giving themselves a choice to make music or not. It's it, it, some people are just born with something where it's 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 necessary. It's like drinking water. It's it's the fuel totally. that allows you to get up in the morning. Yeah, um, I, I don't I don't know what else I would do if I if I wasn't doing music. Well, you don't need to. That's the that's the amazing <laughs> part is when you love something that much, you don't need to know what else to do because there is nothing else to do. You you make it happen. You not only found yourself in a spot that you were you were happy and you were doing what you wanted to do, and then found yourself in a spot where you're literally making a career off of making music. You don't have to tour. You don't have yeah. to play shows if you want. Your job is to sit in a music studio and have the fucking time of your life every day. Yeah, that, I don't. I'm. I. I feel so thankful and and I feel very lucky that I'm able to do that. I mean, I know, I know, I worked at it and I know I continue to work at it. Absolutely. Um, but uh, like so, <laughs> well, the other the other night I had this 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 great producer that I follow on Instagram. Um, his name is Cole Harrison. He goes by the Count. And um, he's huge. You, I'm sure you know about the count. I mean, he's he's incredible. Well, and you he two happened are to be the two beat guys. That's that's you two. <laughs> that's you know that's what started everybody else making their videos. Is is Otis oh. and the count. Oh man, well the count is. Way, I mean, that dude's got like hundreds of thousands of followers. I'm 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 working on it, you know. But his shit is so killing. And he happened to be playing a gig half a block away from my studio on Sunday. And I was like, dude, you need to come over. We need to do an impromptu like live stream. Uh, and, and we had been messaging each other a bunch, uh, but it was so cool to like hang in person. We made music till like three in the morning the other night. It was just so much fun. But uh, one thing that we were talking about, so he just put out this track with um, this guy, Mark Rebier. Do you know, do you know Mark? Absolutely. Yeah. I've heard the track. It's phenomenal. Yeah. The track is killing. And Mark is hilarious, dude. Like, you know, I first got hip to him during the pandemics, you know, some of my friends were sending me videos and he's, 
you know, um, incredibly talented as well, obviously. And I, I don't know Mark personally, but I know that if we hung out, we would have a blast together. But I know that, you know, Cole had just made that track and I'd seen some videos of them having fun in the studio. So we were at, at some point we were just talking about how much fun it is to make music. And he he was talking about Mark saying it's like it's criminal that I get paid to do what I do <laughs> it's because like, I have so much fun doing what I do. And, and man, it, that resonated with me because I feel that same way. Like sometimes I feel guilty. Like, mm-hmm. like, am I supposed Imposter to be doing syndrome. something? Am I supposed to be doing something else? Like this, is this really work? You know, cause it doesn't feel like it. I mean, there are aspects to it. Like this constant release schedule, these videos that I make, like, I mean, that is, that's a lot of work, but I still, I still tend to try to find, um, you know, the, um, the, the optimism in it or the creative, uh, I try to find that, that creative inspiration in, in every Absolutely. aspect to it that keeps me, keeps me moving. Um, but now it's starting to get to a point where it's like, it's overwhelming how much work there is to do because I, because yeah, I do it all myself pretty much. And, yeah. and I'd like to, um, you know, I'd like, I'd like to, I'm starting to bring on people to help me so I can get back to just making music every day. <laughs> yeah. It's a trip. And before we, before we wrap this up, I wanted to ask one more question, which is also seems to be a big part of your life, at least from my perspective on the other side of Instagram, which is the fact that you're also a father and mm. sitting in a music studio every day. What is it like kind of having that duality? Well, you know, I, I think a lot of musicians or artists, I should say, um, worry about that, that moment or, you know, if, if them and their partner, um, get pregnant, it's like, what is that going to mean for their art? And because it is demanding, uh, there, mm-hmm. it, it, it requires a lot of your time and focus and energy to be spent on these human beings that are dependent on, on you. But one thing that they're dependent on is you succeeding. Hmm. And so what has happened for me is that it's made, it's made my work, my art, you know, everything that I do so much more meaningful because music is, is such a self-involved thing. (laughs) You know, it's a self-involved career. And, uh, and, and when I, when I first got married, uh, it all of a sudden started to become more meaningful because I wasn't just doing it for myself. I was starting, I was doing it for my wife as well, mm-hmm. you know? And now that we, we have kids, it's like, I, I come in here every day, uh, and I treat my job, which is being a musician and a producer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, I treat it like a job. I come in here every day from like, you know, nine to five or 10 to six or whatever. And I know that I have this X amount of time to come in here and focus and get as much work done as possible so I can turn it off and go home and be dad and husband and best friend, you know, to my, my kids and to my wife, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's made me, it's just made me a lot more focused because the work is a lot more meaningful. Um, and it's the best, it's the, you know, and it's so cliche to say, but it is the best decision I've ever made, you know, as having kids and it's amazing. Well, an absolutely huge congratulations about the uh, the new baby oh, and, thank you. and really thank finding you. such an incredible career that doesn't only help you out, but, you know, is is inspiring so many other people to go create and to make videos and to make music. 
and it was uh, an absolute pleasure to talk to you, man. And I, uh, I look forward to speaking some more and hopefully having you back on the podcast one day. Oh, man, you too. Thank you so much for having me. And I would happily jump on and, and chat with you more about this on the podcast or off, whatever is clever. <laughs> you know? I would love it. Um, my well, life's an open book. so. <laughs> well, well, we look forward to having you back on. And to everybody listening, I am Otis McDonald, and this is an experiment. The experience is the experiment. <laughs>